Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. The Celtics kept their home streak alive, beating the Knicks again now 3-0 against those pesky Knicks of New York. We're a little late on this one. My fault. I've had some other commitments to get to this week, but we're back here live on YouTube. And we're going to talk about the interesting upcoming schedule for the Celtics as well. But first, the Knicks game. And alongside me is one Wayne Spoonie. Spoonie, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good, man. Um, So... LeBron, Kyrie, the big two of hatred, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Julius Randle might be my third most okay. hated NBA player, dude. Yeah. Like, I just hate how he plays. Like, it's dangerous, it's stupid, yes. and he gets calls. It makes no sense. Yeah, he almost anyway, broke great. Yeah, he almost broke Drew Holiday's <laughs> face by like doing his like dumb like swinging thing. It's yeah, there's a, it's like the guy at the park that play uh, used to play rugby in Australia or used to play American football, I'm guessing, yes. in America. And it's like, yes. they don't really know how to play basketball. Um, and so they're just constantly swinging shoulders and elbows and think that they're really good because they're like athletic and strong. But it's like, no, no one wants to go near you, bro, because yeah. you're breaking the rules and going to hurt my face. <laughs> yeah, no proprioception, no control of their body in space. Just all, all grunt, uh, a la Russell Crowe. Uh, anyway, uh, Jake Eisenberg, welcome to the show. Obviously, uh, playback <laughs> is probably where stop, we should stop, start. Stop. Celtics blog playback uh, kicking off. I guess that the debut like public showcase of, of Celtics blog yes. playback. Uh, do you want to start with the URL and then just let the people know yes. what they can, they can expect? So this is perfect timing because Jordan Jordan B in the chat and Je- we got some, we got some classics in the chat right now. Mm-hmm. Oz Celtics fan, Ozzy Field, Jordan B, Jesse. Um, I've just put the playback link in the chat. Join the Celtics blog playback room, and then secondly, either. Put your email in this live chat right now and then, or DM me, but put it somewhere and I'll be able to give you VIP access, which just means you'll be able to watch every game in playback without any of the blackout concerns. And that can be our room, literally any room, which means any game, any time. Um, and then also there will be, will be potentially some league pass um, giveaways for people in the Celtics blog uh, playback room as we go forward. So get into that mm-hmm. room. Join, join the room, send me your uh, email address either in the chat right now, or obviously not because maybe you don't want everybody to have your email, or go to <laughs> at Jake Eisenberg, <laughs> at First of the Floor, anyone listening, just, it's literally free, you don't even have to join, uh, but you may as well get it, um, because you can. 
Yeah, don't dox yourself, but uh, definitely yeah. come along to the Celtics blog playback debut tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's you know, If you've joined our playback room before, it's the same thing. It's going to be the, the three of us kicking tomorrow. it off, yeah. but with Celtics blogs, hopefully reach and audience and a few new uh, audience members hopefully dropping by and subscribing to that room. I think it's it's low at the moment, given that we haven't done a stream on it yet. It's up Correct. to like 17 subs. But uh, so get over there, subscribe, and uh, hopefully we'll see you there tomorrow. I'll also plug Celtics Late Night. Jake and I are going to stay yep. up till 2 p.m. in the afternoon here in Australia and host <laughs> Celtics Late Night. That's right. Um, so make sure you subscribe to the First of the Floor YouTube channel for that, particularly if you're watching over on CLNS. Oh, yeah. All and right, just guys. To, just please. to clarify, Ricky in the chat here, playback is during the game. And so you, we have both the commentary going live. So you drew, drew, um, drew in the background and then also, but it'll be me, Spoonie, Ben, basically it's just like watching the game with your buddies at home mm-hmm. and with also a podcast feel, you know, at the timeouts at halftime. And then also, um, we're probably going to start getting people up on stage at halftime and do a bit of a halftime show, getting people chatting, um, if they want. Yeah. We're super exciting. Bit of trivia, maybe throw some Jordan Crawford questions at the people. We've certainly got a, a big backlog saved, ready to go for those Hell who yeah. aren't familiar with our trivia shows. All right. The Celtics, they beat the Knicks what feels like a lifetime ago, yeah. several lifetimes ago now. Big break here. Uh, 133 to 123. Spoonie, just I guess we won't go too long on this given that it's a, a distant memory now. But what were your overall takeaways from the game? All right. So I try not to complain about the refs when we lose. So allow me to engage in some complaints when we've won. That was one of the most one-sided refereed games I've ever witnessed. Like Randall would stiff arm someone, jump into them and go to the free throw line for two shots. I mean, there was all these little touch fouls called on the Celtics on the perimeter. Celtics got none of that on the other side. You could tell it frustrated them because Jalen got tossed for saying, you suck, ref. And I think Missoula thought that was absolutely hilarious. (laughs) Um, So it was just like bizarrely, terribly refed, unfortunately, again, which is obviously a theme of NBA basketball. Mm. I will say if you're kind of a newer fan, this isn't new. They were like literally rigging games 20 years ago. So this is, <laughs> incompetence is an improvement. But overall, I, I, I the, the Celtics have had a, a very, very bad habit of letting poorly officiated games take them out of the game plan and they start doing very stupid things. And they were extremely, extremely professional against the Knicks. I thought especially the Jays. Thank God Porzingis is back because like they just clearly trust him more than anyone else on the roster. And they're just more willing to get get off the ball when Porzingis is out there with them. So I really liked both of their approach. Like Jalen had one time he was one of those pull up threes with like 20 seconds on the shot clock. He pulls up. And then instead of shooting it, he just dropped it down to KP yeah. and KP got fouled two shots. And I was like, that is growth right yeah. there yes. in the flash. So I just really liked their approach offensively and defensively. The first half was a disaster, but then I thought they were great in the second half and fourth quarter, especially. Yeah, the the Celtics offense was good. Yay. Yeah. That was exciting. <laughs> third that, quarter. That was, the, the third quarter was good. You know, the turnovers were down. A lot of the stuff that they'd been struggling with against a team like the the Knicks where um, they're, they're, they're a really tough team to play against. They are just, you know, we, we touched on the Julius Randle stuff. Tibbs is always going to have the, uh, whatever team he's coaching to play hard-nosed and it's going to be 
dirty. Ironically, this game wasn't really that dirty because both teams were just kind of really hot from three. But, um, you know, the Knicks, where where are they on defense? Like, they're, they're a ninth in the NBA on defense, and the Celtics played really well on offense. My my favorite thing was the turnovers across the board. To have seven turnovers um, in the game, perfect for a team that's really been struggling with turnovers lately. And then to actually turn the Knicks over 13 times. I don't know what it is. For some reason, we just like haven't been able to generate turnovers again this year. We're like second last in the league in generating turnovers, despite having you know, the stock exchange, like Jalen and Jason both feel like they get hands in passing lanes. It just hasn't clicked yet. But um, to win the turnover battle by like a almost double uh, was really encouraging. What do you think of the theory that, you know, one of the reasons behind our inability to turn teams over is because we're essentially like back on our heels defensively and like defending the point of attack at the rim or whatever it may be. And just just being solid, for lack of a better term, defensively rather than gambling on steals and, and taking charges and things like that. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. But I just I still don't understand why we're second last. Like I just think with like the way that especially Drew Holiday he kind of gambles a fair bit. I do wonder again. Twenty games is a lot, but also not a lot at the same time. If it does start to turn around, because it is something that I know that they've tried to make a bit more of a focus. But I think that's definitely part of it. And again, it doesn't matter to me that much. Um, because the defense has still been really good. The part of the turnovers that I like is that it gets the offense going, and that's why I like turnovers. We we also don't take charges. We've taken mm. five charges this year. Five. Mm. That's like, I feel like Marcus Smart has done that in a game almost. Yeah. He almost did it in <laughs> 10 seconds against James Harden one time. Yeah, that's right. So, and I, the, the offensive fouls count as turnovers, and like, we're just not generating them at all. You know who we miss? Blake Griffin. I was going to say charge master, dude. He took like yeah. 25 last year. You know, <laughs> that's that's what we're literally on pace for that many for the season. So um, that's another big part of it, too. But, yeah, I think you guys are, are right. We, we're sort of a more passive defensive scheme. No, not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but like you got to think Tatum, like Tatum, yeah. White, Brown, Holiday, like that. It just kind of baffles the mind. We're this yeah. bad, honestly. Yeah, well, switching gears a little bit, looking at the offense very briefly, we mentioned Mm. we finally had a good three-point shooting game, 40% from three, and cleaning the glass do a great thing where they do like a two-week aggregate of their stats, and the Celtics offense in the past two weeks has shot back up to number one with 125.3 points per 100 possessions of defense. You know, it's so funny, like we had our... 20-game temperature check a couple of pods ago. We were like, the defense is amazing. In the last two weeks, that's back down to 11th ranked at 115.8 points per 100 possession. Um, possessions, rather. You know, jumping all over the place. And, and two weeks is um is a big enough stretch to, I guess, like really gauge, mm. um, you know, trends as far as like how a team is performing. But in this game, like the Knicks, they out-rebounded us. They out-assisted us. But due to that lack of turnovers, the seven turnovers for the Celtics, like we managed to to get it done and you know there's so many other places to go and we'll get to the individual player level in a second with Porzingis returning but 10 and 0 at home for the Celtics yeah. is huge given yeah. our history of like losing crazy winnable games at home so the fact that they've just got that locked down it seems for now I, I don't want to let myself believe it because I don't want to let myself get burnt <laughs> that come was good you caught time. yourself yeah, like, I know. Is, yeah. we did it we made it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> felt myself falling into the love nest and then caught myself <laughs> at the last moment um, anything else at a macro level at a team level on this one guys before we get to Paul Zingas's sweet sweet return no I think I think you you nailed it, it the, the home yeah. thing the home 
court advantage is a thing that has been confounding. Like last year, why would they? Why were they not good at home? Where they were elite on the road. They're what? They're six and five, I think, on the road this year. And uh, yeah, that makes sense. Ten and zero plus six. Uh, well yep. done, Jake. Sixteen and five. Look, he's getting better every day. But with with nailed you know. it. Um, so math. But at the same time, like I still feel like really confident in this team's ability to go on the road and win any game, just because we've seen it over the last two playoff runs. But to actually have a like confidence going into home, like going to the playoffs, that they're going to win big home games would be really nice. And the only way they're going to do that is to win games at home. 10 no is a pretty good way to start. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Now, now, Jake, Kristaps Porzingis, pictured mm. in sunglasses below here if you're watching on YouTube, came back, uh, scored all the points to, to begin the game. And then for everybody else, like we said with that Jalen example earlier, opened up the floor for everybody. And just so quickly, within like 30 seconds, reminded us all how much of an un- unlockable, you know, unlocking attribute he is to this team as far as how much he makes life easier for everybody else. Um, what I guess just at a macro level again, what did you notice from Porzingis' return? Man, how good is it to have the Bear Slayer back? Um, he's he just makes everything go. Like I think this team can be really good. There he is. There he is. The Bear Slayer. <laughs> this team can be really good without Porzingis. I think without Porzingis, they can still have a, still have a really good defense. I think the offense, even though it struggled without Porzingis out um, out there, I think we've covered it. I feel like the last couple of weeks was a little bit of shooting luck. But when he's out there, the way that the offense works, the way, what he's able to do at a three-level, you know, ability is it's just something that Al Horford can't do. Is incredible as all Al Horford has been. Pausing it just gives this offense a completely different level of juice. And the way that defenses are just terrified. Of Porzingis. Most of that was just a preamble because um, I didn't have time to upload a clip and now it's uploaded. But I've got three <laughs> clips nice. here of KP's gravity and how defenses are just terrified of him. So um, the scout called this one out on the broadcast. Hartenstein terrified to leave Porzingis. Opens a lane for D. White for the dunk. Um, next time, um, pick and pop with Porzingis. Both guys just crash straight to Porzingis. Leaves Drew Holiday wide open in the corner. Just splash. And then this last one, again, Mitchell Robinson really scared to leave Porzingis. The paint just wide open. Someone has to help to Drew Holiday in the middle of the paint. Kicks to Derek White, wide open in the corner. Um, I was joking with Carl on on Twitter. Um, You know, it's just parting like the Red Seas is the next name for Porzingis Moses. The way that he's able to just part. (laughs) Part the Red Sea that is defenses in the middle of the paint here, uh-huh. um, and as a, as a man with, with Jewish heritage, I think we can we can pull off um, the Latvian Moses that we've acquired here. Um, <laughs> but it but it but it is a thing. Like he, the, he he knocks down those two threes early, and then the, for the rest of the game, both Hardenstein and Mitchell Robinson just and all it takes is one step, one half, like one little hesitancy, one half second of being hesitant, and next thing you know. It's your holiday wide open. Offense gets moving. The driving kick game's going, and we put up 133 points. The Latvian Moses. That's right, Carl. <laughs> there's literally no way the phrase Latvian Moses has ever been said before in human <laughs> history. Either. That is an entirely new phrase. But yeah, I think that second clip especially really highlights how just how much he bends the defense. Like 
when when he rolls on that pick and pop and he gets hit with the pass, the Knicks aren't even in that bad a defensive position. Not- and DiVincenzo isn't helping off of Holiday, and he just sprints full sprint to the above the break to get to Porzingis and he's leaving a 40% three point shooter alone just because they're so terrified of what Porzingis can do out of that pick and pop when he gets the ball. It's just like, it's just so, so helpful to have that third guy who just makes life so much more difficult for defenses and just the way that it really looks like the guys are starting to get comfortable, which is kind of ironic because he hasn't played, but they're really comfortable with him and where he wants the ball in his spots. Like a couple times he would just get the switch. He just kind of amble over to the high post and they would just hit him in the high post. And he's just like turning over Brunson and just shooting. Brunson's like grabbing him, yeah. like titty twistering him. <laughs> and he's still just like burying me like free throw line jump shots in his face. So, um, Last he, resort. What else is there to do at this point? Yeah, yeah. There's I mean, nothing. There's nothing. It's, like, it's, a, refs. it's a Thibodeau them. defense. It's a, it's a known <laughs> method in the, in the Thibodeau scheme, <laughs> a titty twister. The, 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 yeah, triple, the triple T. T. That's right. Thibodeau, Thibodeau, titty twister. Yeah. I like in that first stint of uh, like pre-injury games for for KP here, I was kind of finding myself getting frustrated at times where he was pump faking on those pick and pop looks, where he clearly once you factor in the addition of his height, he had plenty of space to get those shots off, and he was doing that a whole bunch in in DC with the Wizards there, uh, mostly because he didn't have many other options to to kick to and, and sort of consider that would be a better look than a wide-ish open pick and pop three. In this game, he jacked a few of those, he's pulled the trigger on a few of those looks quite early, which I think opened up those looks you ran that Derek White dunk clip earlier if it wasn't for him being so trigger happy earlier in the game like I don't think that Derek White gets that lane so I was really satisfied yeah. to see that he was just pulling the trigger on those looks rather than pump faking which he's been doing earlier in the season yeah I think that's a really good point it's similar to it's like the inverse of how we we need Tatum and Jalen and yeah. Derek and Drew to like <laughs> yeah. to get to get downhill to open up the the three game um, yeah, when, once Porzingis starts, like, makes literally, if he makes one three, everyone's like, damn it. He's making threes and and they're gonna and we're going to have to cover him. And it's funny because I don't know, did they work on this in practice? We had this weird little break in the schedule, but on our most recent episode talking about how, you know, Porzingis' three-point percentage being at 32, and I was kind of saying how it feels like he just hasn't been getting clean catches. They've been throwing it to him either a half second late or just off. And in this game... Pinpoint, especially those first two. Tatum straight off the pick and off the pick and pop. That like signature Tatum behind the back to the top of the key, right on the money. Jalen and these passes are simple. They're like they're like one pass away on the wing. It's just they're all on target, and he knocked them down. Was just you know eventually he was going to start knocking these, these shots down. I don't know. It felt like the passes were way cleaner than they have been in the past, and lo and behold, they went in. Now, we've got a few people in the chat saying that they actually met Chris Tapps Porzingis tonight somewhere in Boston, and he he did a lot of pro-Banner 18 talk uh, during those meetings, which is good to see. Someone I would personally love to meet is Derek White, and this team- Mm. 16-5, and no longer the best record in the NBA. That belongs to the Minnesota Timberwolves, but- we have been, and the fan base has been, rightfully so, hypercritical of this team because our expectations are so high. 16 and 5, clear front runner, at least in the East. They've won some great games. They've shown us signs of improvement on some of those poor tendencies that we were so frustrated about last year. In fact, we know that they're far from perfect, despite being such a good team through and through, talent wise, roster build, record. They're far from perfect. 
I think Derek White might actually be perfect. <laughs> he, he might be the perfect player in the NBA. I, you know, we, we talk about Jalen Brown, the Jalen Brown-led lineups. It's a plus-minus nightmare. He can't quite lead a team and direct a team like Jason Tatum can. I would be so interested in like a forked-off parallel universe what a Derek White-led team looked like in the NBA. Like mm. if he just got traded to like the Bulls or something, they were like, we're just going to build around Derek White. What would that look like? Because he's, he's incredible. And... You know, a year ago or two years ago, rather, I have, you know, I close my eyes at night and on the inside of my eyelids, I see Clay Thompson backing down Derek White and, and the Warriors exploiting him defensively. I don't feel like we're even seeing that this year, which was maybe his most glaring weakness as, as a guard. Um, and, you know, in this game, he basically wins wins the game for the Celtics scoring 30 points. His three-point shot is, what, up around 40% for the season, 39% for the season. He's just incredible. Spoonie, apologies. I have to throw to Jake here, the, the man with the mistress, <laughs> sure. the, the world's leading expert on Derek White, with the exception of maybe Jack Simone there. Um, Jake, yeah. thoughts well, on, on Derek White's performance? I mean, again, this dude. And look, I love nothing more than when Derek White goes off at home, just because I have I get really good deals at like the local Boston area at the Marriott's, the Hyatt's. Um, of course. Uh, all, Mr. Eisenberg, welcome back. All, all, exactly. <laughs> um, straight to the presidential suite, as per usual. Yeah, it's like there's, a, there's no better place um, than being in Boston to take the mistress. But I think we got to run the D white clip here first, because I think this really sets the stage uh, for, for just him and everything that he is. Derek, I'm not sure if you're aware, but calling Derek white underrated, is kind of like the hottest trend in the NBA right now. So when you get to the line at the end of the game and they're chanting MVP for you, I'm wondering how that feels with someone that's kind of always tried to stay humble. It's whole career. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's crazy. Um, anytime, uh, Guys, we got the best fans in the league, so um, I'm always thankful and grateful grateful for them. Um, I mean, I know I'm not the MVP, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's always cool to hear. I know you said that, Derek, <laughs> but who's to say he's not the MVP <laughs> at this point? Like, define most of, valuable. Define most valuable. Without Derek White, we have what well, we're like we're like a 500 team this year. He may has he may have missed two games. And we're, yeah, we're one and one in those yep. games, but you're not look, important. No, yeah, that's that's irrelevant. Thirty-three, three, two steals, two blocks, zero turnovers. He's averaging like fifteen point five on sixty-four point seven percent true shooting. Best assist turnover on the team after Pritchard, but like the only guy with real usage, like two point eight two. And really, like I wonder that Pacers game's really kind of throwing that off a little bit. He leads the team in three-point pull-up percentage, which I know for this team is a real bugaboo. And we dove into Tatum's pull-up shooting last time. Derek White's taking 1.9 pull-ups per game. 38%. I feel like he only takes pull-ups when he's on fire mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. he has to, which I wish... You know, Tatum and Jalen would would they don't they don't only take one point nine per game either. Get them down to that three 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 point five range as well. Um, he's been he's been perfect, and I I think it's pretty clear that he is tied or in the second tier of most important players. Yeah, part of what makes Derek White so perfect is how versatile he is too. So he's in the eighty second percentile as a pick and roll ball handler. That's elite especially on his usage, right? He's in the 99th percentile as a spot-up guy. So not only is it an elite pick-and-roll ball handler, he's an elite spot-up guy. And we know he's an elite decision-maker, quick decision-maker, very rarely makes mistakes. So it's like what he's not really bad. He's 
great at everything <laughs> on offense. Uh, so like that's a pretty good foundation for a useful player. And not even speaking about his defense, I think the Knicks are a very difficult cover um, when you're a guard defender, point of attack defender, because Randall and Robinson set like massive illegal screens and you've got to get around those because Brunson is one of the best pick and roll operators in the NBA. And, you know, Derek is just so good at getting over the top of that screen, running them off the three point line and getting either like a rear view contest or, you know, when we shade help over from the big getting back in front. Um, and yeah, like Brunson, I bet a year and a half ago, two years ago could have, overpowered white sometimes and he's just not he just can't do that anymore because white is clearly bulked up he's yes. stronger he's even more perfect than he used know, to be dude. at this point so <laughs> Hard to imagine I, yeah, <laughs> like we're joking but he has by far the biggest on off differential on the team by like 10 points which is that's like insane dude yeah. so he's i mean there's I, what more can you say well, if you're strategizing from the opponent defense perspective against the starting five, who do you put your weakest defender on? Like, it's either Derek Drew. White or Drew, right? <laughs> like, that's, I mean, I guess we're not uncovering anything I, new here, but it just re- remains to yeah. be an awesome fact of this season. Yeah. You would. You Honestly, you would put it on Derek White almost for the reason that he's he still is like 10 to 20% not as aggressive as I would like him to be because I feel like he has that matchup all the time. Like in that Pacers game, for example, I know that like the five turnovers, I like would have liked him just, do we need to try and get the switch to Tatum on Halliburton or can we just go, just run Derek White, just go get, get him coming off a, a KP handoff, getting downhill and let him make the play. I am so comfortable with him being the lead initiator all the time. Going back and watching the, um, the sixes, the second sixes game where he you know, had three monster buckets after the Sixers made a run. It's just like, yeah, I feel so safe and comfortable in the hands, the soft, soft hands. <laughs> we know. We know. Quiet. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's sorry. Go ahead, Spooty. No, no, bad, please. Well, just quickly, like his nimble footedness on, on the pickup on his drives between the pickup and the finish at the rim. Sometimes it feels like he takes, there's like a flutter. Uh, it feels like he takes four to five steps, just how he's able to m- maneuver through um, through that final part of the defense to get to the hoop there on the pickup is uh, incredible. If I was like picking little bits of NBA elite skills from various players to formulate the perfect player, like I, I almost can't think of another player that I'd prefer to choose that uh, level of finishing from, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's- I just- you go, Gassini. Uh, yeah, it's like a really underrated skill in order in order to generate points on drives is decelerating, mm-hmm. and that, that, like Derek's really good at that, where he just gets into their chest, and then that last step mm. before he goes up for the shot, he just like almost stops and then goes straight up, and the guy just keeps going backwards, and then he ends up with like a pretty easy layup, and he's money on those like weird five footers six footers that a lot of guys struggle with just because you don't really practice that shot but Derek gets those he's like shooting like 90% on those or something <laughs> yeah you imagine imagine Tatum trying to take those deceleration floaters <laughs> in the lane it's just no it's, no it's not no. it's just it's not not happening for him um yeah jazz off in the chat great point like uh KP on the JJ Reddick pod um which is this is becoming a bit of a trend with Joe just the type of coach he is but apparently this happens like every couple of months they have basically like a trust 
circle in Australia, yeah. in Indigenous Australian culture, a yarning circle um, is kind of what <laughs> it sounds like where you go around and talk and each person t- uh, says something about their te- like each of their teammates, but what they love and maybe something that they wish they would do more of or less of. And KP was saying like, he said to DY, I love how much you make the right play. You're so consistent in the way that you make the right play. And I'm kind of disappointed in you when you don't. It's like, that's the, <laughs> that's the level of expectation and standard that DY has set for himself because he is that perfect. We expect perfection. Now, look, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, FanDuel. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Drew Holiday in, in line with things that have completely flipped on their heads since we did our 20 game. You know, what's exceeding, <laughs> what's met and what's fallen short of expectations. Drew Holiday's completely bounced back. But first, a word from our sponsor, FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GamesenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. And now back to the show. All right. I don't. I can't find it quickly, but whatever the line is for the Celtics... Cavs game tomorrow, Celtics minus. I'm guessing the line is like five and a half or four and a half would be my my prediction. Celtics minus four and a half. Um, I hit the Knicks one, by the way. Mm-hmm. I know I didn't hit the the Bucks Knicks one, but I did hit Celtics, which is that's kind of been the one that I've been on so far. So I'm pretty confident Celtics coming off rest. Nick, uh, Cavs are playing the Magic right now, I believe. I haven't checked in on that score at all, but that's a tough, tough game. You got to come into Boston and take down uh, a rested, motivated, best starting five plus Al Horford in the NBA. Yeah, the Magic are up nine with six and a half minutes to go in the game, but they're, they're missing some pretty key pieces, potentially resting them for the for the big one tomorrow. Magic in, in or the Cavs are missing some the, pieces? Well, the Cavs are missing some pieces. I think I saw oh. Evan Mobley is out and somebody else. Um, I'm not sure why, if they're resting them for tomorrow or if it's just injury management or whatever it might be, but they're definitely missing some key pieces. Okay. That's going to be good news. I'd be surprised if they're resting guys for no reason. Anyway, go ahead. Well, yeah, they need to claw back and win some games. Absolutely. Now, we talked about, we teased rather, Drew Holiday, and he's Mm. been teasing us all season with looking great and then not looking great and then looking great again and then mostly, at least on offense, particularly on offense, not looking always great. And in this game, Spoonie, the thing that stood out to me was there was a a huge reduction in poor decision-making. He looked a little bit uh, more in sync with the team. And like the more I've thought about it, you know, since his rocky start offensively this year is like, given, you know, lack of training camp for Drew Holiday, just the timing of, of when he was acquired, it makes sense that like one of the main strategies for his integration into the team is like, look, the team's really talented. So just do your thing. Like you're a high IQ player, like play off of the rest of the offense and you will get looks because the defense is always going to be shifting towards the point of attack, which is often the Jays. And in this game, it felt like he had a little bit more of control. He dictated a little bit more about 
you know, what the offense did and how the offense attacked the, the Knicks defense. Um, is this a sign of things to come? Is this an anomaly? What were your takeaways from Drew's performance? I sure as hell hope it's a sign of things to come, but (laughs) it it makes sense. It felt like he was on the ball a little bit more against the Knicks. And like, that is the role he has played with Milwaukee for the last four years or three years. Um, Like having him on ball is just what he's a little bit more comfortable doing. And he hasn't really played in a way that makes us want to put him on ball, especially at the expense of Derek white, Jason Tatum. Um, But you know, he does have a really high upside as a ball handler. And, you know, we saw it where he could get downhill, he could post guys up. And when he's not throwing incredibly dumb passes, like he is a good playmaker. Like he can certainly uh, bend a defense, cause help and make the right play. So, yeah, I, I think it, he it's a difficult transition to go from a team's primary lead ball handler to like the fourth, fifth option. And he's definitely had tons of growing pains, but it was, it's going to take time. You know, this, there'll probably be more kind of blips or, um, and valleys, but it's nice to see against a good team, him fitting in and playing great because recently, especially we have not seen a lot of that from him. Yeah, this is awesome. And this is why so many people were excited when Drew Holiday was traded here because he does have a much higher offensive upside than someone like Marcus Smart. And great, great mute. Great timing on the mute there, Jacob. Yeah, the professional over here. <laughs> Bro, baby. <laughs> For him to go seven from 11, feel comfortable, confident. Something that I maybe need to do a, a deep dive into is. And Troy Mackey in the chat here is on it. It's like, we forget that this team has been together for such a short time. I definitely forget that. And, you know, I'm, I've, my brain's been destroyed by um, marketing and social media. My attention span is so short. Um, I, have the, I have the brain of a, of a goldfish. I need everything now. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember back to 21, 22 when the Celtics were four games below 500. And I was like, I hope they just try really hard down the stretch here and play the young guys and we get like the 16th pick for them to flip it around and become the most dominant team in the NBA for a three month stretch. I can't remember back that far. Um, so I need to like <laughs> remind myself that teams have the ability to get better, turn things around, um, improve as the season goes along. Um, the Miami heat comes to mind. They had a season where they were like one of the worst teams in the league in the first half, um, looking like that, like a top three lottery pick to having one of the best records in the league in the second half and making, making the playoffs. Um, yeah, I agree. Philippa, memories overrated. Just live in the moment. Um, forget the <laughs> losses. Uh, live in live in the wins. Uh, and just having a look at like what teams that were ended up being really good started off slow. And again, we're sixteen of five. You know, we we were like, oh, we're not going to be as good as uh, that start last year. But I think it's we're gonna get we're gonna end up getting pretty close to that twenty one and five start, considering we're already um, sixteen and five. But having a bit of a deep dive into some teams that made a lot of changes, you know, in the off season, how long does it take for those teams to gel? There's a reason why teams that make really big trades at the deadline almost never win the title. Like there's one example of a team winning the championship um, while making a star trade um, at the deadline. And it's um, the Rockets when they traded for, um, I've met, I always do this. I always forget. I think it's, was it Clyde Drexler? 
um, or um, and I always get him confused with someone. Um, I thought you were going to say Lakers with Gasol. Oh, was that a deadline move though? Uh, well, it wasn't at the beginning of the season, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I, and well, the, the point is though they always win the title the next year, and mm-hmm. as when when you make that in season trade, the difference is the Celtics have made this trade um, at the beginning of the season, and that um, you know means they've got plenty of time to work this thing out. There we go. I just go thought ahead, it, was like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was Clyde. Yeah, it was Clyde. Yeah, yeah. But they, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and of course, with Gasol, obviously, they, they won the following year. It was the Celtics, the team that we cover, who won the year that they made that trade. So apologies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, look, we've got a couple of more things to rattle through before we, we get to the upcoming schedule. And I was thinking about skipping this, but I think it's important. Chris Tapp's Porzingis effect on the offense. Jake, yeah. like... The just the addition to you know points per per one hundred uh, that he makes yeah. on the team, uh, I think it's worth calling out. I mean, look, we looked at those clips earlier where he is the Latvian Moses, and literally the paint opens up. Team t- teams are just terrified of him. As good of a shooter as Al Horford is, and we're going to give to a bit of a deep dive on those numbers in a second here. Teams are so scared of Porzingis. His offensive gravity is something that the team doesn't have without him. I do think that there is something to be said for the Celtics just making shots. Like Drew Holiday going 7 for 11. I do think he just made some of these like left-handed layups and hook shots that he historically makes and just has not been making for the most part this season. And they went in. Absolutely. Porzingis is the ceiling of this team. He is the reason this team has the potential, in my opinion, to be a cut above everybody else in the Eastern Conference. But I think they just made a lot of shots at the same time. Yeah, a lot, I, I went through and looked at all our three-point looks, and they were ranged from makeable to like wide open. So I, you know, I, th- but I think we've been generating those types of looks basically all season. We still haven't been making them, so it's nice to see them finally go in. Uh, but yeah, KP one point five points per one hundred better on offense when he's on the court, and about two points per one hundred better on defense when he's on the court. So three point four points per one hundred with him on, so he's having a positive impact on a team with a bunch of very good players. So, I mean, that just shows you, boom. Yeah. Like you said, Jake, he's the ceiling. Um, he just makes everything easier for everybody on both sides of the ball. He looked good as well. I, th- I thought he pulled he up a little gingerly from the jump ball. Oh, like, right. And I was like, Oh no, like the, yeah, he's leapt into the air and the, the load on his calf. It's, it's over. Um, it's just, it's, it's so terrifying how dependent we are on the health of Chris Dapps, Porzingis, and everybody else, but particularly Chris Dapps. Like, oh. that, that has not gone away. We have not demonstrated an ability to still be championship caliber without him, I think. So, it keeps me up at night. <laughs> yeah, look, no, look, again, I think I think if we don't have Porzingis, we are still good enough to make the finals. That's just how good the team is. But there's like a, there's a ceiling on this team with a healthy Porzingis, similar to... Similar to Rob, it's very different. But like when yep. Rob was like truly peak healthy Rob, January to March 2022, that's the time. That was the ceiling of this team. And Porzingis mm-hmm. honestly gives them, what, 85% of that, that that version of Rob defensively is not someone that Porzingis is, was able, is able, quite able to do. Like that mm-hmm. version of Rob defensively was a complete game record, just a violent force. Um, a better switch defender, but offensively, it's not close. Obviously, because um, the lob threat, I think they're pretty similar. But then, obviously, what Puzingas gives you on the other end, um, yeah, this guy, 
completely changes who they are as a team. I have a question for you, Ben. Did you see the video of Porzingis like having one more sip of his Diet Coke um, as yeah. the game started? Now, my <laughs> wife's a naturopath. Uh-huh. You know, Diet Coke is not something that's good for you generally anyway, but like as it pertains to muscles, um, you can dehydrate you. It's kind of, it's like, it's just not good to drink before you Mm. play basketball at the NBA level. Uh, Thoughts, concerns? Well, it's not good for you as it pertains to anything because even it doesn't really, it's not even particularly uh, calorically high. So if you're trying to get an Mm. intake of energy before that sort of outburst of energy, then- Diet Coke, you're actually better off having regular Coke, I think, as far as having calories to burn. They're not the healthiest calories that you could take in, but at least they're calories. So, it's an odd choice, you know, but, you know, we have, um, you know, routines that are odd sometimes that we just need to from a psychological standpoint to go through before we get on the court or do anything in life. So, maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it was a one-off. Maybe it's not a regular thing. I have been racking my brain about it, Jake. It's interesting you bring I it up. You would, I knew you would be. <laughs> yeah. What is he Absolutely. doing? <laughs> what do you think, Spoonie? It's like, uh, is Diet Coke before a game like a one? That just seems like that would be an insane thing to do randomly. Just like, you know what? I'm going to crack a Diet Coke while I'm you know warming what? up. You know what I mean? Like, as a man who has many, many very strange idiosyncrasies and routines, I can say it's mental. You know, it's like a nagging in your brain. You just need, you know what? I need one more sip and then I'm going to ball tonight. So yeah. I, I, I get it, KP. I understand. But yeah, what a, I, I, like kind of a shocking video in a lot of ways. Yes. Do, it's like, do we know it, it was, was Diet Coke? Yeah. Are we positive? Well, that's the, the, the tweet was basically like, and KP, it, it inferred that it was a routine. Right. That's what okay. the tweet inferred, which is not what I wanted to hear. Um, and the way that he had the last sip was like clearly a man who's like, this is my, this is the last and the most perfect sip. And now I'm going to go seven for seven on my next seven shots. And he did. Do you guys have any weird like pregame routines or pre anything routines that are sort of off, off the beaten track of what's accepted? Well, I have a very sensitive stomach. So I have to like have a, a proper full meal, like four hours before I actually play. And mm-hmm. then I just have like small increments of like, fruit uh and then and then it's, it's an australian candy you probably know it ben zappos there's like yeah. <laughs> these and the purple ones in particular just like yep. very sour candy <laughs> smash a greek yogurt uh-huh. before okay. i do oh. just about i'm addicted to greek I, yogurt what? so i maybe could have an hour before i play <laughs> yeah i know i'm a strange dude man uh, <laughs> but dude it's good it's protein a little bit of fat a little bit of sugar it's like the perfect energy for running around for an hour oh. and a half you know? it's, oh, it sits quite, in your stomach yeah though. i don't know that's not for, for my stomach that is not good. here we go we've got a couple my Aussies stomach in the is here. conditioned yeah level zappos purple zappos um we'll have to send spoonie some zappos as our next australian care package yeah, bring I, them to uh, Vegas. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll bring some. And anyone who's meeting up with us in Vegas, uh, bring your weird pregame uh, supplements <laughs> with you. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> I uh, I was going to say cocaine, but no, I have a pre-workout supplement. <laughs> Don't bring that. <laughs> a pre-workout supplement that I have uh, before the gym, before games, uh, and it works. I don't know what it is. It's like, especially with weightlifting, it like brings the, the blood to the surface of your skin and helps you get like those last reps out. <laughs> That's that is my point. mother. Thank I you. I'm of course I bring up the I cocaine agree, for one Spooner. time. 
<laughs> the one time Spoonie's mom comes on the show, I bring up illicit know, substances. Right? <laughs> we should move on. Uh, She's cool. We got, yeah, we, we got to check in on our, uh, our best player. Jason Tatum, mm. who I think was slightly better than what he has been the last five or so games. He was a little bit more reliable, struggled to assert himself early in the game. But I think that's becoming a trend where he sort of lets the game play out. That's almost like the narrative of the game play out in front of him before he decides how to assert himself. Um, I don't know, Spoonie. What do you what do you think? Yeah, I, I really, my mom's got me like I'm totally so distracted as well. here. Yeah. So I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna try and keep it together here. No, I thought I, like this is a this is the type of game we want to see from Tatum with this team, with all this firepower around him. He does not need to be the number one star every single night, take the most shots. Like he was moving the ball. I thought he was making quicker decisions, which is something we've been absolutely begging him to do. Um, and you got to do it against the Knicks. Uh, and I thought defensively, like the Knicks are hard to guard, man. They kind of remind me of OKC and how they move the ball. And it's just like dribble drives everywhere and kickouts and swing, swing, swing. So I thought Tatum was all right defensively. He's kind of been taking a load off a mm-hmm. little bit. Uh, oh, yeah. I think the last couple, <laughs> maybe month or so. But, uh, you know, he was he battled when he needed to. He's matched up with Randall a few times and, you know, kind of met the challenge for the most part. So, yeah, just an excellent game. Would love to see more of this version of Jason Tatum. I would like to see him be assertive earlier. And this doesn't have to be shooting. Like, it's so simple. He, he did it with the, the KP pick and, pick and pop. Like, similar to KP, Tatum has absurd gravity. Defenses are terrified of him as well. It's like, you don't have to take a bunch of shots. It's just literally probing the defense, getting downhill and making easy passes, which he definitely did throughout the game. And it didn't really matter because the Celtics started offensively hot. But like I watch some of these other teams, like as what like the the Thunder. I mean, SGA is is the perfect example of this, and um, a guy who has like twenty plus drives per game, and we covered the drive numbers. Like Tatum's in like the sixties. I would just like him to get downhill more often, and he took nine three pointers. It's two more than I would like, but realistically, that's never going to happen. It's going to be in the eight range. Um, and there was just one that annoyed me where he got. Hartenstein on the switch, 15 seconds left on the shot clock, five dribbles, pull up. And it's like, we know that you can get downhill against Hartenstein. We know. And it's just like, it's fine. It's not a big deal. He went three for nine. He easily could have gone four for nine. But honestly, I think that's why the three-point percentage is coming down. And Spoonie, you hit on this before the season. The reason the three-point percentage is down is because he takes two to three really difficult shots per game when he doesn't have to. And that is a perfect example of like, he should have taken eight three-pointers. He should have gone three for eight and he ends up being like 38% from the from the floor, from, I mean, from three, and he should have had two more rim attempts. And it's just like... I'm just starting to have like really high expectations for Tatum in that I agree that he had a really good game, but I'm also like there was a, there's 10% let le- he left on the table. Starting to have high expectations for Tatum. I, I mean, <laughs> come on, like you know, he's Jason Tatum. I've, uh, expect- <laughs> expectations are there and they're high for a reason. The five assists and zero turnovers is That's, like, yeah. I, I've referred to this scene too many times on this show, but like 
I'm gonna age myself so poorly with this, but you know that movie Hook, Robin Williams. Oh, bad uh, Where like, dude, yeah, of yeah. course. Where they're like, the, the kids are with Robin Williams, and they're like trying to find Peter Pan yeah, in his yeah. face, and they're like, there you are. That's like when I see Jason Tatum play that way. I'm like, there you are. You're in there somewhere, laying dormant within this like coasting version yeah. of Jason Tatum. Is the real version of Jason Tatum? He is there, laying in wait for the right time. So I'm not worried, and it was good to see him just like play. A decent game, I suppose. Taylor Snow had a good tweet uh, today, earlier. He said that Jason Tatum's isolation field goal percentage is by far the highest it's ever been. It's currently at 46.6% and it's up 12 percentage points from this time last year, which was uh, 34%, which is crazy. So, uh, partially thank Sam Cassell and the the post-up addition to the game and the fact that we're going to that more, but um, Tatum and isolation just in general, I think there's probably more of an emphasis on attacking those mismatches as well, despite the bevy of talent in our starting seven. Um, so, that's been great to see as well. Al Horford, someone we should also check in on, who Come remains on. perfect, both uh, ocularly and, uh, you know, on court wise. <laughs> um, uh, 27 minutes in this one, 14, 10, and 2 he hit a really important three to end the third quarter. I think there was 0.8 seconds left. It was on a Tatum assist. Mm-hmm. And it was when the Knicks were sort of coming back mm-hmm. pre, pre-jail and ejection, but still, you know, where they were sort of making their run. And Al Horford just nullified that with another corner three. And that's, that's becoming more reliable. We're getting back to when Al catches with a glimmer of space in the corner. You're like, bam, this is going down on like that sort of Sam Hauser level of reliability. So the fact that he's 37, he's still great defensively. He can still switch onto smaller guards. And now his shot is back as well, Jake. This is the Al Horford we know and love somehow still. So because we had this weird break in the schedule, I was just thinking about Al Horford because... That's what you do when you're a fan of the Celtics. <laughs> Daily, <And, laughs> yes. Hello, get a moment alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like you know, the the, the three point numbers are have climbed back up again. And I was like, I really, I like, I just wanted to go back and look at his shooting for his career, basically. Um, and so you you kind of go back to 2015, 2016. That's when he actually started shooting. You know, before that, he was taking less than one attempt per game. That was the first year he started taking 2.8 attempts per game. So nine regular seasons, he's shooting 37.3%. That's like 759 attempts out of 2033. And seven playoff runs, 40.2%. Like... This is we know we talk about the lot the the large sample size of uh, shooters. Yes, dreaming of Horford <laughs> juice seems to be a trend here. Uh, the mistress the people, is getting jealous. They, they know us well. It's great. It's great to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of great inside jokes happening in the chat here. We we absolutely love to see it. But so you know we've got like a nine year sample size of Horford being at that. Grades out to 39.4%. That's an elite shooter to quote Al Horford. And just made me think, like, looking at all the numbers, how much of how much it sucks that last year's playoff run. It's like a, a really big outlier when I look at look at the numbers. Um, like every single playoff run that he's had besides last season has been 35% or higher. And last playoffs, obviously, he was the 29%. That's also not including the Philly sweep where he played for Philly and he got swept by the Celtics. He took four attempts in four game like total in that series. That's over four games. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one per game. Again, great at maths. Just how do you screw <laughs> up using 
Al Horford this badly when it's so clearly that he can play so many different ways at the five, at the four, defensively versatile, switch, playing drop. How did they screw this man's life up so, so, so badly? It's it's honestly confounding. Um, but yeah, so um, honestly, and then going back to the 16-17 um, the playoffs, the Isaiah Thomas, the hero, obviously, of that playoffs was IT. But Al Horford... 52% from three in those playoffs. <laughs> like you, the, the 2021-2022 playoffs where we lost to the Warriors in the final, Al Horford 48% from three in the entire playoff run. In the Warriors series, 62.5% from three against the Warriors. How do we not win Al Horford his ring? I'm so sorry, Al. Remember I'm that so game sorry. one? This year. That game one clutch <laughs> game three, one. like from the wing. Oh, when we won, How we just took those, away with it in the, oh. in the fourth quarter. <sighs> How yeah, that whole those? run was started by Al, yeah. it feels yeah. like. Ultimately and painful memories, but because yes. we lost, but... <laughs> game game four in Milwaukee, Al Horford like kind of ended up being remi- remembered a little bit as the Tatum game because he went nuts in the fourth quarter too, but Al Horford hits that clutch three in the corner and then he elbows Giannis in the face and Jason Tatum is dunking on people. Next thing you know, he's just been so solid for so long in so many big moments that it's just... It's beautiful. Said with so much passion, Jake said, Muse 31 <laughs> in the chat, which I fully agree. That You mentioned it, but that 2020 bubble playoff series, it's the only time that Al Horford made me feel negative emotions or at least emotions that I sort of struggled to, to grapple with where in game one, the sixes went up a little bit. This is, of course, without like mm-hmm. prime Ben Simmons, unfortunately, it seems to have been. But Al Horford like dunked all over the Celtics. They went up a little bit and Al Hoffer did like the primal scream, yeah. you know, into the camera. And I was like, oh no, like he's no. using his powers against us. <laughs> and at the time, I just made me feel awful. Almost like, you know, seeing an X excel down the line or something while you're still floundering in your old life. It felt, you know, I'm still, still grasping at it today, struggling to deal with it. But <laughs> I'm, I'm so, yeah, <laughs> can barely articulate it. But I'm so glad that he's back with us and, and still doing his thing at age 37. It's amazing. Um, I feel like we've had so many of these segments re-Al Horford so far this year in, what, 21 games. And fortunately, it looks like we'll be able to continue to do so. Do you do you agree with this, DJ Daniel? Love you, stuff and bias per usual. Joe ran Al into the ground last year, had no legs to hit threes in the playoffs. I personally think that it was just a straight-up shooting outlier. Like, then, and that's really all it was. Just because of how good he still was on defense and then, like, and how many minutes he played in that 21-22 season all the way through to the finals and being one of the, the switch heaviest bigs in the league. I actually don't think that, the, you know, the OKC rejuvenation him, I don't even think that even mattered anymore. I just think that he would have been amazing regardless. I just think he's he's LeBron-esque in the level of durability that he that he's portrayed at this point. Look, he takes care of that perfect body yeah, very damn well. Right. You know what I mean? But <laughs> look, as the as the captain of the don't yeah. play Al Horford too many minutes train, I, I don't know. It's really hard to of like. Course. It, it's, it's kind of impossible to know. You know, the shots didn't go in, but he did have that one game where he went like five or seven from three. And it's like, was he just I feeling was... good that game? You know? Mm-hmm. Well, I, 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 I do think, though, let's let's not find out. Let's just keep the minutes where they are. He's playing 28 minutes a game. They should start to go back Lower. down now. That Well, they went back up because <laughs> KP hurt his calf and yeah. Al Horford had to put on the cape to save the Celtics as he's done for his entire existence as a Boston Celtic. Um, but yeah, I agree. Let's not, let's not find out. Let's 
Let's get to the playoffs. Al Horford's played 26.5 minutes per game. I know that's too high for you guys, but I just don't think <laughs> I don't think it's realistic to keep this I, man if, off the court much if more. If Spoonie has to stand outside of Joe Mazzulla's house with a stereo begging for low Al Horford minutes, I'm sure that he will do it. Absolutely. All, all this talk about AI taking over the world. Imagine if it was just Al. Everyone was oh. talking about Al. It was just a lowercase <laughs> L. Al, Al Hoffer's taking over the world. Uh, look, let's let's end on the crazy upcoming schedule for the Celtics. They're, they've just played the second toughest schedule per uh, strength of hmm. schedule. And well, yeah, on, on dunks and threes, they've got like the strength of schedule and apparently they've had the second hardest schedule so far. Right, and yet they have played so well and won so many games. Uh, the homestand <laughs> coming up is I, guess, is, I guess, the schedule anomaly that we want to talk about. Cavs, Cavs, Magic, Magic, all at home. Drew Carter taking a holiday, I assume, somewhere. He's got a lot of time to relax and yeah. get some R&R in. Mike Gorman's going to be overworked despite his, his long tenure as the, as the play-by-play guy for the Celtics. Uh, we mentioned the Cavs playing the Magic right now, if we can just get a quick... Update on that game. Um, looks like the Magic won 104 to 94. That's with the a Cavs missing some notable personnel. Um, did Mitchell play? I think he did. It was Mobley okay. and someone else not named Donovan Mitchell who, who missed the game. But Garland, um, Garland played because he's on okay. my fantasy team. Okay, yeah. there you go. All right. That's good. That's all we really need is like that. Because uh, I will say this is I, I and Al Horford Pacino on Twitter pointed this out to me because I was like, it feels like we've played a lot of guys, a lot of teams on the second night of back-to-backs. Like, we've been the beneficiary of it. And this is the sixth time that that's mm. happened. And so, the, the schedule thing to me, I always find like a little fugazi-fugazi. Like, I wouldn't put too much into, look how look how hard the Celtic schedule has been. That should give you more confidence. Mm. You know, the schedule is going to get so easy down the stretch. Um Teams that are bad now are going to get better. Like a lot of this is calculated by team record and teams that have struggled because of injuries are going to get better and stuff like that. Um, and also Dave D, easy schedule gives me worries. That's yeah. also a fair point. The Celtics, um, you know, start to not take uh, opponents seriously and all of a sudden they drop a game like to the Grizzlies and to the Hornets. They'd won the Grizzlies game, but they lose that game in overtime to the to the Hornets. Um, like this stretch right coming up in front of us is hard. Cavs, Cavs, Magic, Magic, Warriors, Kings, which is a back-to-back. Clippers, who are good now, and the Lakers on Christmas Day. That's an eight-game gauntlet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, let's start focusing on Cavs, Cavs, Magic, Magic. It sounds, it sounds like a drinking game. Can I interest you in a round of Cavs, Cavs, Magic, Magic now that we're four beers in? Spoonie, like, is three, three and one to be expected in this? I guess, like, what would be, like, an acceptable record in this next four games here at home? Yeah, I, I I don't know. It's tough. The Magic give us so many problems, and the Cavs were pretty, I would say, uninspired to start the season, but they have been. They had won three straight before tonight's loss, so uh, they're playing a lot better. They find, you know, they were healthy. I guess they're not now all of a sudden. So, I man, it just I can't shake the feeling that it feels like a two and two to me. Mm-hmm. But like, I think like expected wise, like. You maybe drop one of the magic. You can beat the Cavs twice in a row. They were like the Knicks last year. I think we went one and two, one and three against them rather. Um, so you know we kind of owe them a little bit of payback. So I, you know, three and one, two and two. I don't think we'll sweep it. Although that would be great. But it's tough to play the same team twice in a row. It really is, man. It's. I feel like those split more That's- often than not. So I wouldn't be shocked if it's a split, split, two and two. 
Yeah, that's exactly my thoughts. Is it purely because of the, the the nature of playing a team two games in a row? Like one team, whoever loses that game is going to be like, we really want to win the next game. And the team that won the first game is like, we already beat you guys. We know you can beat you guys. It's just human nature of regular season. Yeah. It even happens in the playoffs anyway. And the, you throw in the fact that both of these teams that the Celtics are playing against are good. Then I just think, I think splitting them is totally fine. And that's kind of what I expect. But this is this is good. Set the expectations at two and two. Right. Imagine if we imagine if we beat the Magic twice. Imagine that would never happen. Never impossible. Never impossible. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So I, I think we've got a big enough backlog of losses to these teams that we could <laughs> at least expect three and one. In that you know, last year, <laughs> last year we had some tough matchups. Many many overtime matchups against the Cavs. Many many so, losses yeah, to the Magic. Very recently, a loss to the Magic. Like. First of all, with the Magic, I, at least in that first Magic game, I expect the Celtics to come out just being like, fuck you guys. Like, this yeah. this shit is over. We are going to win this game. Uh, the Cavs, less so, but they haven't been as good. They've been better recently, but I, I do feel like they haven't been as good as last year. And the Celtics maybe have some vengefulness in their approach to that. Um, <laughs> that said, you know, you, you mentioned beating teams back to back. That That's tough. So, it's going to be entertaining. And it, it's going to be one of the bigger tests for the Celtics, I think so far this year and we've made several attempts and most recently in our 20 game sample size podcast like many attempts to like decide that we know this team and we know their tendencies and we know their weaknesses and I feel like what's coming up is hopefully going to give us um, some more information a new data point as far as like what we can expect from them championship wise so a a good test coming up the west coast trip like we'll have podcasts between now and then so I suppose we can get to that but um Again, one of the more challenging Tough stretches. Stretch. And yeah. like Lakers on Christmas Day, you know, it's a huge <sighs> game that you want to get up for, but that's the tail end of a, of a road trip, it looks like there, Jake. So, um, yep. you know, it's, it's hard to imagine where they can pull the energy from. Maybe, you know, hopefully the Jays can pull it from their many, many millions of dollars that they get paid every year. But, you know, as we've seen, <laughs> it's just not, not a regular occurrence. Um, anything else before we wrap up on some Walshy news? No, LeBron just- is going to get an insane whistle on that Christmas Day <sighs> game. He's going to shoot like 17 free throws. But yes. no, that's all. <laughs> well, Don't look, look <laughs> Tatum, Tatum's been getting more of a superstar whistle, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I yeah. Speak, cannot be compared to that of LeBron James. Let's end on this. Look, this is just a good vibes thing to, to end the show on, but... Jordan Walsh has been performing quite well in the G, as has J.D. Davison. And they had some of our like um, more... G League prominent Celtics present for the last game. I think they had Sam Hauser, uh, House Money there on the sidelines. And they also had Luke Cornett in the commentary booth saying this about Jordan Walsh. This connection shows a bright future. Davison to Walsh. With where you're at and just try to play as good a basketball as you can. Um, I think you play enough basketball that you see there's a lot of ups and downs and a lot of really great players who are in the G League or in Europe. And... um, all you can kind of do is take the day at hand as Walsh lays in for two. That's how you do it, right? It's nice to actually be able to go to a game where I'm sitting there with them instead of seeing them from afar. Yeah. Uh, and here we have Jordan transition. Powerful strides. Oh, tough finish. Nine points. Powerful Let's strides. <laughs> Luke Cornett, honestly, he remains like the top of my list of like, if we were ever going to get a player on the show, Luke Cornett would be the ultimate, ultimate guest appearance. It's true. Yes. Sorry. You got two choices. Jason Tatum, Luke Cornett. We know how to make content. It's going to be like content. Yes. <laughs> I hadn't uh, seen any Tatum's of that. the worst interview. Yeah. yeah I hadn't no, seen any either. of that. That was awesome. I mean, like the yeah. fact that Cornette Walsh was speaking while Walsh, like 
finished that and then got the steel coast to coast and got that to go in. That had me hyped, dude, because you obviously had to pull it from Cornette's interview and Cornette can't control whether or not Walsh makes or does anything. And the fact that he did that while he was speaking had me legitimately hyped just there. I'm very excited. (laughs) And I 100% stand by, I would be giving Jordan Walsh Banton's minutes. I just don't, I just, all of that that Jordan Walsh just did, I, I haven't seen Banton make one transition layup yet. I know it's a G Unleash Walshy. I'm like, Unleash him, him Joe. Bring him, to, bring him to the West Coast. Let's go. <laughs> bring him along for the vibes on the plane. Exactly, and, uh, dude. Yeah, if nothing else. All right, let's wrap it up there. That's going to do it for this one. A reminder, Celtics blog playback tomorrow, yes. 7.30 p.m. The link is in the description. It's not right now, but I'll put it in the description as soon as we I finish this live there stream. Again. There you go. Just, uh, yeah. And then hang around hang around after the game because we're bringing back Celtics light, late night rather live on YouTube right after the Garden Report. See you there, hopefully. Spoonie, Jake, love your work, guys. Until next time, go Celtics. Go Celtics.